This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Welcome to WTS Waikato, sharing the hyperlocal, controversial and quirky stories of the Waikato region. I'm your host, Gary Farrow. The Hamilton New Zealand Temple has been closed to the public for 64 years. Sitting high on a hill to the south of Dinsdale, only members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints have been allowed inside, and even they need a special recommendation to be able to enter the sacred building. Over the space of three weeks, more than 50,000 members of the public have been able to take a tour through the Mormon temple. I went along for the tour and then met with Vicky Lee Wehongi, a Hamilton resident and lifelong member of the church. So I'm Vicky Lee Wehongi. Um, my father was a 17-year-old boy that was sent up to this area by his grandmother in the 1950s to um, help build the temple and at the time there was a, a high school being built by the church and all of that was dependent on volunteer labour. So um, there were over 500 over the years, uh, young men and women that heeded that call and came and lived on this property and, um, and over that period of time built the, the entire project, which was pretty amazing because in the 1950s there was a shortage of building supplies. So they had to depend on um, accessing the, the timber for the project themselves, which they did through Ngāpuhi in the north. Um, they milled timber on their own lands and donated that to the build. They also had to build a brick plant so that they could uh, create all of the bricks and blocks for this project, you know, hundreds of thousands of them. Um, and so that was a part of the sacrifice. Um, all of the, getting all the, of the infrastructure in place, accessing all of the materials, and then doing the actual build. And that's pretty miraculous when you think that, that this project was created by uh, young men and women primarily, who um, were unfamiliar with um, labouring roles, but who came here with um, with dedication and um, determination to see the job through and to learn as they go. And so that's what happened. Um, uh, my uh, involvement with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints um, began two generations earlier than my father. So his grandfather, my, uh, sorry, great-grandfather, my great-great-grandfather, Rumaruruku, he was the first one to join the, our faith um, 
all that time ago. And since then, there's been, you know, a, a large number of us who have remained committed to the faith, a large number of us who have found other paths and, and other directions. But um, that is how I uh, joined our church and because of my involvement and background, um, how I also became involved in helping um, host and organize these the open house tours. So you have basically grown up with the faith. Mm. So you wouldn't know not being part of the faith, really. Mm. Um, it must really feel like such a community, such a, an extended whānau to you. Yes, it really is. It, it's exactly as you describe. And you will have noticed since you and I came into this building, um, every person, we, we know each other and we love each other. And some of us are related. Um, and it's a, it is a very special community. Uh, and it, it, this being involved with the Temple Open House kind of adds richness to our existing relationships because we're doing what we love to do, which is to just share our beliefs in a in a um, in a in an open way, and to be able to invite people into our temple is such a privilege for us so that you so that kind of is why there's this added level of of joy and excitement amongst the people that you may or may not be able to detect i, I can detect it and this is your chance to connect with the very much wider community yes. isn't it yeah. um when i uh uh, went through the temple open house the other day I, I heard the refrain repeated that um, the church is sacred but not secret mm. um, and I think uh, with all due respect that's a way that people have, have felt like the community mm. is like it mm. is secretive and mm. like they don't understand it mm. and couldn't even begin to understand it. Yeah. So um, this must be yeah very enriching uh, for you and mm. for the faith as a whole to be able to actually say this is us. Exactly. That's that's how that's how I personally feel. Um, very excited to to welcome a lot of people I know because I'm from um, Kirikiriroa, from Hamilton, but also just people in general, welcome them into this beautiful, beautiful temple. Um, we, for every temple throughout the world, before it is dedicated, or as in the case of this temple, after a major renovation, um, before it is rededicated, the temple doors are open to, to the public. And I have loved that every door has been open for the sake of trying to create a um, organized tour that doesn't cross over and overlap within the temple. We've had to create a specific route in there. Um, but for example, we had a day where just those who had been contracting contractors on the temple were invited, they and their families. And on that day, 
every space was open because some of them wanted to show their families, for example, the laundries where they installed the big machines and the wiring panels and just really kind of obscure places in the temple they wanted to be able to show their families those places that they specifically worked on. And so they were able to just take their families pretty much anywhere they, they wanted. So every space has been open to the the public and the community and we really you'll even notice on the on the tours that you go through we try and open every single door as you walk past so that people get the feeling that actually nothing is secret we are we are an open book as to what is in the temple and what occurs in the temple and that's been such a lovely experience to be able to be so um, open with our guests that have come through. Um, I feel like I work in a high school here in, in Hamilton and um, I've been there now for, for over 14 years and you get to know you know your colleagues really well and what I love is now uh, in the past where I've kind of raced off after school or after meetings and I and I've said oh I've got to run, I've got, I'm running up to the temple. Now they know why. Some friends at school said the other day, oh, we went through the temple, and now when you run away to your meetings, now we'll be like, oh, I know where she's going and I know what she's doing. And some of them said, and we'll be a little jealous, we won't be able to come with you. So that kind of um, openness has been such a privilege and a, um, and a, a joy. I think it can be recognised by people who are doing the temple open house that um, you're entering a special space, you're having the doors opened to you. And we are also explained, uh, it's explained to us that normally people have to have a um, recommendation from a mm. bishop mm. to be able to enter the temple. Mm. So when you are going off to work at the temple or to um, do an ordinance or anything like that, yeah. it is an extremely, um, like, it, it's a high responsibility yes. and, and a high privilege would yes. you say that you're being given yes that's that's how how I consider it to be a privilege to be able to go into the temple and um, that recommendation process is explained as part of the temple tour isn't it you heard that the other day that prior to the dedication it's open to absolutely everyone but once the dedication occurs in our temple that will happen on October 16th then we go back to those who hold a current recommend and um, really the recommend is given for those who are really trying to keep the commandments and to keep the covenants and promises that we make and we are Abs, we are the first ones to say, hey, we are not perfect at this, but we are trying and we are doing our best. And some days we do better than others, but we are really trying because it's, we don't, this is a, these are beliefs that we live, that we just, just don't hold in our hearts and, and um, follow on certain days of the week. These are beliefs trying to be like our Saviour Jesus Christ on a daily basis is what we aspire to. But we don't get it right all the time and it's a, it's a process, isn't it? What would you say is the difference about 
the Hamilton New Zealand temple to a church of a, another Christian sect mm. because um, they are publicly open spaces yes. where you can go into. But mm. there's something about the temple, mm. something sacred about it. Mm. Uh, so would you like to explain that? Well, I think one of the differences that um, some guests who I've taken through the temple have commented to is that they thought from the exterior of the temple that the interior would reflect more like a, a cathedral, you know, a building that they've been into before from different um, different faiths that have tall ceilings and they have expansive rooms inside, and ours is not, as you've seen. Um, we believe this is a, a house of the Lord. This is a home. And so the smaller rooms, the lower ceilings, the couches, the chairs, the little side tables and lamps that are in all of the spaces, that's supposed to reflect kind of the home feeling. This is, this is our home we come back to. This is a home we welcome our Saviour into. This is where we learn how to return home to God and to our Saviour uh, when we leave this life. So there are a lot of different types of rooms in mm. there, mm. a lot, mm. and the entrance to them all look the same. They're not, uh, I didn't notice them being labelled for their, their, their purpose or anything. Yeah. Um, but um, would there be, um, would some of them be offices and other ones be uh, rooms for different types of ordinances? So I would say you've seen every room where an ordinance is performed um, or every type of room you've seen. I, I think there's seven or eight ceiling rooms, but because we can't crisscross the, the paths of, of other groups coming through, you probably only went into one and maybe saw a couple as you went past. But um, so there's multiple of those rooms. But you've seen all the rooms where we perform ordinances. Um, what you probably ha what you haven't seen is there's some smaller office spaces. Um, there's also downstairs a cafeteria and a laundry. And there's also rooms where all of the electrical and mechanical operations happen. So those rooms you haven't seen. Um, but uh, otherwise, you've pretty much seen everything there is. Right, so there aren't other sacred spaces which people aren't really get, getting an idea of when they go on the tour through the temple? No. Yeah. No, you've seen our celestial room, which is a, a very holy room to us, so you've been there. The instruction rooms, you've seen the baptistry, and you've seen the um, ceiling, or a few of the ceiling rooms. So you know there are a few other ceiling rooms scattered around, but you've seen all of the rooms where sacred ordinances are performed. And that's what you could fit in on a 20-minute um, yes. open house. Uh, a lot of people have been through in the last few weeks, haven't they? Yeah. I think I heard just before 50,000. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, probably about 50. Um, we're anticipating maybe closer to 60, 65. We actually don't really know by the time we conclude on Saturday evening. Yeah. 
It, the original um, temple open house in 1958, though, I don't know if you've seen any photos, I can show you some big pictures out here, but there were 112,000 people that came to that open house. And we, we didn't have big marquees. We, um, people lined, their cars were all the way down Tuhikaramia Road. Um, people just stood in a long line down the front of the temple steps and just kind of um, just all the way down and uh, that's how the tours were conducted back then. So um, it's a little bit different and the numbers are different because I think people's interest between um, uh, 1958 and now might have changed. Also this was one of the largest buildings in the country at the time but um, we just we didn't mind how many wanted to come we whether it was a hundred thousand or fifty thousand or five thousand we were going to provide the tours for anyone that were interested in exactly the same way that we're undertaking them now do you know what um, inspired the architectural style of the building? Because it's very interesting. Mm -hmm. I noticed things are very, um, very angular, very square, very oblong, mm -hmm. like very um, uniform. Even this sofa we're sitting on right now mm -hmm. is kind of consistent with it. Um, mm -hmm. uh, um, you know, stuff which I'm seeing around the um, Mendenhall Library yes. um, is is consistent with what I saw in there, um, even though that was obviously built in the 1950s. Yes. So, so do you have an idea about that architectural inspiration? Yes. So in the 1950s, um, the design was somewhat constrained by uh, what they were able to produce, and especially young unskilled labourers were able to produce. And so I imagine that the very angular square interior design and exterior kind of reflects the, the abilities of the time. And because it's a heritage building, um, although the interior was almost completely uh, taken down to allow for all the seismic restructuring, um, because it her was heritage, it was kind of replaced in much the same way. Now, temples throughout different parts of the world, you'll see that they're quite different. There's, um, in Utah, I've been to one in Provo that's circular. And um, there in San Diego, one I've gone to is, is also quite different. So um, I believe that this particular architecture is due to um, what was available because of, uh, because of the era in which it was built and the manpower that they depended on. Um, and we've, we've kind of stuck to that because of the uh, heritage status of the building. Yeah, that's a really interesting um, perspective on the social environment of the time mm. and of the community that were, that, that were building the temple. Mm. Um, why did the temple particularly come here to Kirikiriroa Hamilton? That's mm. very interesting to have such a... This must be one of the world's um, prom most prominent Mormon temples. Well, there are, I don't know how many, probably over 200 now throughout the world that are either built or in construction or 
have are in the stage of um, of refurbishment. So there are a lot. Um, this, but however, having said that, this was the first temple built outside of the continental United States. So it, um, we had several in the United States built. Um, I believe one in Canada, and then the first temple completed outside of that area was here in New Zealand. And I'm not sure why that was um, the case. I know that our prophet at the time, President David O. McKay, came down to the South Pacific and he did a tour here. And it was on that tour that he declared that a temple would be built on that very spot. Um, and I don't know what he saw or what he felt when he was here from the people. Um, I'm not sure what it was, but we, it was such a joyful occasion when, when he pronounced that this would be where the next temple would be built. Um, and we certainly have benefited from that. You spoke about how the faith basically began in the continental United States mm. and a lot of people uh, wouldn't know about that. Mm. Um, would you like to share a bit of that story? Mm, mm. Yes, so in the 1800s, um, in the United States, there was quite a fervour of um, of a lot of different faiths at the time that were wanting to get their messages out. And you'll know that the United States was uh, um, originally one of the great things that were, were attractive to people who were migrating was that the, the, um, the freedom of, of religious choice in the country at the time, because they'd come from all different backgrounds in all different countries where um, religious freedom was not upheld. And so for many people, that was why they came to the United States and um, also the democracy that they were trying to build as a nation. And so it was in that environment that all of these different faiths were, were making the general public aware of their beliefs. Um, a lot of them Christian faiths at the time. And um, there was a young boy whose name was Joseph Smith, who was investigating these different religions. Um, he was very confused. There were things that he felt were missing in, in the, some of those faiths. And that kind of drove him to pray one day in a grove of trees on his family farm. And um, he tells of a vision that came to him where God the Father and the Son Jesus Christ appeared to him and told him that this young 14 year old boy that um, the true church of Christ was not yet on the earth um, and that he would be instrumental in, in um, making that happen. Um, and so over the rest of his lifetime, um, that's what occurred. 
he, um, in, as, as the aspects of the faith were introduced to him, he would make those who were members of the church aware of them, and they were recorded and, and um, instituted, and that's really the, the very beginnings of, of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And how did it develop to the point where it started spreading around the world? Mm. It must have become really ingrained in those communities in the United States, mm. particularly, I understand, um, in Utah. Mm, absolutely. Well, um, of course, the, the body of scripture um, that was and still is very, um, very precious and important to members of our faith was the Old Testament and the New Testament. And um, there are lots of references, especially in the New Testament, of taking the, um, the Church of Christ to the world. Um, and so that was something that um, the early church took on board uh, with great gusto. And as early as the 1830s and 40s, missionaries were sent throughout the world. So the first missionaries came from the United States in 1854, and that's when they landed here in New Zealand. And so that was not that many decades after the church began, actually. So as you say, they went to every part of the world throughout Europe um, and uh, began in Asia and here in the South Pacific. And that's how the church began in very small ways, in tiny wee congregations throughout the world. But that was how the growth began. Right. So almost since New Zealand is a younger country, um, there wasn't such established ingrained religious orders, you know, of of uh, of Christian sects, because there were throughout much of the world. Of course, we know about the conflicts that have happened in Europe um, to do with different sects, um, which has b been taking place over hundreds, thousands of years. Um, but New Zealand was a an open book, really. Mm. It sounds mm. like. Mm. Yeah, I think that I think that may have been helpful in terms of people's willingness to he to hear, to listen to the new messages that were coming, new in some ways and very familiar and 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 reflective of Christ's church in other ways. So new, but also familiar. Um, and what's really interesting, and actually we could get more details because I don't have all these details from the, um, the Church History Museum right across the way here, but the Māori people actually, a huge growth began in the church once the missionaries learnt the um, Māori language translated the Book of Mormon into Te Reo Māori and started preaching amongst the Māori people. And, um, and I think that the reason for the big growth in, in that populace was because of the familiarity of the message. The, the um, Māori tohunga prophets had already prophesied in decades earlier of the coming of the Church of Jesus Christ and how it would be preached 
to the Māori people in their own language and how the missionaries would come in white shirts and they would raise their hand to the square when they prayed. Things like that, that the Māori people were already looking for and the stories they were familiar with, um, they saw come to fruition when the missionaries of our church entered their communities and started preaching to them. And that was, of course, without the knowledge of these prophecies that had already been, been um, pronounced amongst the Māori people. Thank you for listening to this episode of WTS Waikatoa. If you liked what you heard, you can follow the show on Facebook and find it wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Free FM, the Community Access Media Alliance, and New Zealand On Air for making this show happen. Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com/freefm89 to find out more.